There are some events that occur in your life that demand you reposition yourself for the future. Indeed, they demand that you picture the future in a whole different way. What may start out as a devastating blow ends up in an unconquerable joy. What may start out as a separation that leaves you feeling lonely may result in a greater sense of community than you have ever had. We join those on the road to Emmaus that have just gone through a devastating time. They feel like this God that they have felt had sent them a sure future had suddenly abandoned them and they were alone. And as they were walking out their disappointment and as they were talking about Jesus, he joined them. Pastor Reggie last, last week just said, you know, when you, when you talk about Jesus, he shows up. And so we need to talk about this time in our life. Some of you are going through graduation. I have a, a grandson, Noah, who graduates from high school um, this year. And, and we were, were at some of his ceremonies. And, and my niece, uh, Jessica, was here. She's graduating. And, and, and I know this about graduation. I know that it not only demands of the graduate that they take a different look of the future, that they create a future they may or may not be ready for, but now it's here. Graduation is the inauguration of innovation. I got to figure out a new future. And that's true not only for the graduate, it's true for, the, true for the graduate's families. Because they're not the only ones that are saying, uh-oh, we're not going to be together in the same way anymore. We have a whole new future. We have to figure out. And that was the experience of the, of the disciples as they walked along and, and they were saying... You know, we had hoped, we'd, we'd pictured a future and, and now all of a sudden the future's gone and we've got to figure out a new future. And Jesus joined them as they were figuring out a new future. You know what love is? Love isn't just seeing in somebody the qualities that can add to your life. Love is not being able to, to picture your future without them. You see, when, when most Easter sermons, you know, you, we go through this pain of Good Friday, this separation and darkness of, of, the, of the worst separation the world's ever known. And, and then Easter comes and, and here he is again. 95% of Easter sermons focus on the fact that because he conquered death, we can conquer death. That's what the resurrection is to them. 
And that's a good, that's a good starting place. You know, after you die, you'll be resurrected to heaven. If you place your trust in Jesus Christ, you will have the same victory in death that he had. But I got to ask you this question. How soon are you going to die? And what do you do in the meantime? See, we just sang this, this song, you will never fade away. By my side, in my life, you will shine through me every day. See, the resurrection isn't about what happens, just about what happens after you die. The resurrection is about going into the future together. Because you can't picture your future without Jesus. You can't picture your every day without Jesus. You know, as we were going through this graduation time yesterday, or the, yeah, it was yesterday, we were having a graduation breakfast with all the family, and, 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 and Noah was there, and, and, uh, and I was sitting beside Josh, his dad, and I was remember, remembered his graduation, and I remembered then his childhood. And there were a couple of times when Josh was growing up, his, his dad was growing up, that he, that he, he kind of said surprising things to me, and, 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 and it made me laugh. And one day, I remember he was, I don't know, maybe 10, 11 years old, and we were standing in the kitchen over on Oak Hill Drive in Altamont Springs, and, and, and he was just kind of looking me up and down. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, there comes a time in a boy's life where he's just really proud of his dad, you know? And, 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 I, and I bet he's just standing there admiring me and, and just glad I'm his dad. Finally, he looked at me and said, is that all the taller you're going to get? Ouch. There was another time I was just cutting up. I was acting a fool. I, you know, sometimes I, sometimes I get a little silly, not as often as I used to, but I asked him. And, there, and, and when teenagers a, a, a approach their teen years, they, they, they're easily embarrassed by their, by their parents. Easily. Whether or not their friends are around, they're still embarrassed by their parents when their parents are acting, acting silly. So I was just acting, I was goofing off and, and so on and so forth. And Josh kind of rolled his eyes and turned to Becky and said, I don't know what you see in him. <laughs> well, I'm never sure she saw much in me, but here is love. She couldn't vision her future without me. She wanted to walk with me every day into that future. That's what love is. And that's what love is with Christ. It's not how much he can give you or, or how much he costs you. It's the fact that we can't picture our future without Christ. And when we talk, he joins us. They were walking along that day, the Bible says, in Luke chapter 24, starting with verse 33. And it says, after they had recognized him in the breaking of the bed. Remember, Pastor Reggie said, you know, that Christ was invited in by them. And then he kind of took over, which is exactly what happens when you invite Christ in. You know, you realize you're not the boss anymore. 
He's the boss. He'll take over. And he presided over the breaking of the bread and, and they, they instantly knew him and then he instantly disappeared. Why? Because he's just as present when you can't see him as when you can. <laughs> but he knew they needed to be about some business. Now watch this. And this was the business they needed to be about. And they got up that very hour. Now remember, this is late at night. They've been on the road for hours. And returned to Jerusalem and found gathered together the eleven and those who were with them. Saying, the Lord has really risen and has appeared to Simon. And they began to relate their experiences on the road and how he was recognized by them in the breaking of the bread. They couldn't not talk about Jesus because they had a new, a new future to devise. See, they had had one future in their mind and all of a sudden that was taken away. And so they were faced with the necessity of innovation. The innovation of a new future. I was listening uh, to a talk by uh, Ari Wallach this week on futuring, future scenario planning for the future. And he said, most of us in this culture only plan on the immediate future. We, we, this, is, this is how we think. I've got a problem I need to take care of. I've got a problem I need to take care of, and so that's my focus. How do I address that immediate problem? And that's okay, but then another immediate problem rises up, and then another immediate problem rises up. And so you don't think of the long-term future. He, he, he calls that, that way of facing the future sandbag strategy. You know what sandbag, if you're from the Midwest and you live near a river that can overflow to, uh, flow at flood stage, you know what sandbag strategy is. If, if your house is in danger, what do you do? You go out and you fill up sandbags and you put them all around your house. And, and when, the, when the river rises, hopefully that'll take care of the problem. And then after the problem is gone, you empty up the sandbags and you go on living. As if nothing had ever happened and you, and you don't change anything. That's sandbag strategy. But he was saying, that really doesn't maximize the potential you have for the reason you're still here. If we are simply planning on a future that we can take care of day by day, we are not planning on a, on a future that will matter much in the end. Now we are here in order to look forward not backward, by the way. Do you know how God arranged your body? He arranged your body <clears throat> to go forward. Your feet <clears throat> point forward. Your eyes point forward. There's only one part of your anatomy that points backwards. <laughs> and I don't think you want that to be your identity. God means us to go into the future and to look into the future. As a matter of fact, Jesus said, 
In Luke chapter 9, verse 62, Jesus said to them, no one after putting his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Let me, let me put that a little bit different way. Is being fitted for the kingdom of God. See, we're still here to be fitted to inaugurate the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. And that's a long-term strategy. If you just think short-term, you know, we had a, a, a kickoff here, a press conference this week in, in uh, Friday, I think it was, for Florida Sun. Where, where they're, they're, they're doing um, solar panel co-ops, and I'm a big creation care guy. My, my, our whole um, um, uh, energy in, in our, in our uh, house comes from electricity. Last, last month, my electricity bills was 10 bucks. Um, but I, I would never have put on solar panels if I just thought in short term, because there's an initial outlay and you go, ah, I can't afford that. When I put on those solar panels, I wasn't just thinking about my eventual electric bill. I was thinking about the generations that come after me. Because I'm not living my life just for myself. I'm living my life for them. That's the kingdom. If you just think about solving your present circumstances or adjusting to your present circumstances, you're not living the full life that God expects from you. This is what it says in Hebrews. This is one of my favorite, one of my favorite uh, uh, Bible verses. And, and, and before this verse, it, you know, it talks about all those great people of faith. It's the hall of faith, Hebrews 11, you know? All of the people that are famous. And this is what it says about them. None of them had the promises of God fully fulfilled in their life. Why? Because they were just preparatory to how those promises would be completed in the generations after them. But having said that, as they lived in their limitations, but yet with an eye to the future, it says, but as it is, they desire a better country. Not just the one they're in now, that is a heavenly one. Therefore, look at these words, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. We have such a, a, a desire to adjust to our circumstances. But all of you know you have this burning desire in your life to do something greater, to be something better. For significance, all of us do. I heard a story one time about a prisoner that got out of prison. Some of you that are listening from correctional facilities might take a note here. You know, in prison, they, you don't have choices. I mean, maybe a few, but very, very few. And so if you have a long stay in prison, <clears throat> when you get out, you're paralyzed because there are so many options, so many choices that you're paralyzed for a while and you can't operate very well. And one of these guys had, had a long prison stay in. He came out and immediately hit the ground running and in a very short period of time was tremendously successful in his new life. It was so unusual that they asked him, 
how he could do that. And this is what he said. I never decorated myself. They were puzzled. They said, what do you mean? He said, I never tried to make my prison cell seem like home because I knew I was meant for greater things. Some of you spent a lot of time adjusting to your present prison cell, making it feel like home. You're destined for greater things. And God is not ashamed to be called your God because you're looking long-term. You want to have an impact. How do you do that? Well, the simple answer is, we keep talking about Jesus. We're walking along. We don't exactly know how the world is going to go. But we keep walking along and we're talking about Jesus. And when we're talking about Jesus, guess what? He shows up. He shows up. He joins the conversation. This is what it says in Luke chapter 24, verse 36. Remember, they're having this conversation about Jesus. And it says in verse 36, while they were telling these things, he himself stood in their midst and said to them, peace be with you. Do you know why we seek Christian fellowship, whether in large groups or in small? Because there's a sense that in that fellowship is his presence where two or three are gathered. He said, there I am in their midst. He shows up when you're talking about Jesus. He shows up. We need relationship. We were built for community. But we were built for a community that ushers in the presence of God. In that is our greatest fulfillment. This is what it says in 1 John chapter 1, verse 3. It says, what we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you. In other words, get this about Christianity. Christianity isn't a concept to be argued. Christianity is an experience to be shared and a future to be built together. Christianity is people who say, I can't picture my future without Jesus. And I want to talk about my life and what he's done in my life. And I want to hear what he's done in your life. I want to talk about that because when that happens, he shows up. And I know That's uncomfortable for many. Let me finish this first because it's up. What we have seen and heard we proclaim to you also, watch this, so that you too may have fellowship with us. Now watch it. And indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. It's not just about our fellowship together. It's about our fellowship with God when we're together. When we're talking about Jesus. That's what this is about. And I know that sometimes the conversations can get awkward because you feel a little, maybe I'm too inserting a religious note here. Maybe that's awkward. Watch what God does with that. I've gotten in plenty of awkward conversations. Last Thursday, we had kind of an awkward conversation here. 
because it was conservative, traditional, old, evangelicals talking with the LGBT community folks. Now, I got to tell you, I'm the last candidate to know how to have that conversation. Last candidate. You know, I, I, I'm an old white guy, um, and, and, and I grew up in Shelby, Ohio. We didn't have regular sex in Shelby, Ohio. <laughs> At least that's what my grandmother told me. But we got together, watch this, not to talk about the issue, but to talk about Jesus. Because these were other people who were looking to Jesus. All of us were looking to Jesus. And we wanted to have that conversation. And I was sweating bullets going into that because like I said, I'm not a likely candidate to lead this kind of conversation. And I knew sooner or later I'd step in it. And sure enough, I did. Sure enough, there came a moment where I just said something and I heard this groan, you know. But you know what happened? There was such grace in that room that it's almost a good thing that I said it. Because we all recognized, you know, you don't have to be perfect to have fellowship. You don't have to be perfect to talk about Jesus. You don't have to know what you're talking about. When you talk about Jesus, he shows up. This is a conversation that needs to happen. Not to parse out theological doctrines, but to have a wholeness of fellowship with people who are trying to follow Jesus. I'm not sure anybody will change their theology. Matter of fact, I don't think that's even necessary. I think what's necessary is that we love one another just like we are and that we talk about the future together. I think that's necessary. And let me tell you why. Because when we talk about the future and when we talk about Jesus showing up, he will guide us together into a different future than we thought we would have. There are many people nowadays that are being faced with a future they thought would always be there and it's, it's been erased. It's happening in our culture, you know? I was listening to another talk by Courtney Martin and, and Courtney um, is, a, is a social scientist of sorts. And she was saying, you know, this is the first generation of parents who do not think that their kids will be better off than they are. First generation of parents who do not think that their kids will be better off than they are. And by the way, the kids don't either. However, you got to define better off. Because I, in fact, think there's a brighter future for this coming generation than we know about. And let me tell you why. When you say better off, people automatically start to define better off by those societal norms by which they evaluated success. Well, what were those? Well, one of them was job security. I get a good job. 
I'm secure in my job. I got a good job. You know, people of my generation, I've had the same job, in essence, for almost 50 years. My dad was in a factory for 40 years. We had job security. The average job stay these days is 4.7 years. Now watch this. She said that by the year 2020, 50% of the population will be freelancers. In other words, there's no, I stay with the company a long time. 50% of the population will be freelancers. That's the younger generation coming up. What is success? Having a large salary? Will, will, will a lot of our kids make as much as we made? I, I, the indicators aren't there for that. Wages are stagnant. The economy hasn't rebooted as far as the jobs that are going to be needed for the future. The training hasn't been there. So there's a large portion of the population that will say, I don't know if I'm going to make as much as my mom and dad did. The big house, how about that for, for an indicator of success? I'm going to have a big old house with a white picket fence so I can have kind of our own life and kind of keep trouble away. But home ownership is becoming a reality for a smaller portion of the population, partly because of the economy, partly for other reasons. But that's not the American dream anymore. Let me tell you why I have great hope for this next generation. Because that's not how they gauge success. Do you know how many of them are gauging success? By relationships. These young people do relationships more naturally than we ever did. They think in terms of networks more than we ever did. There is now, listen to this, 50 million households that are intergenerational. And not a majority of those are by need, they're by choice. This, by the way, were my great-grandparents' generation as well. Where grandparents and parents and aunts and uncles and kids and, you know, they all live together. Why? Because there was, there was a community that could, listen to this, this is the key. Live out their beliefs together. That is fulfillment. That's what these disciples walking along the road who had to go back to their group who believed and trusted in Jesus to say, he's alive, his love will never fade, he was by us, he's now in us, he will shine through us every day and then he showed up. I have great hope for these kids that see their future together.
Because the most meaningful life is one that lives out what it believes with others. The most fulfilled life is not the one of greatest comfort, not the one of greatest ease, not the one that can avoid conflicts or pain. It's the one that belongs. It's the one that is loved. It is the one that seeks what Christ made them for with others who can help them toward that. I have great hope for this next generation.